Metropolis held no surprises for us this time. When we arrived, the Man of Steel was doing business as usual, fending off fifth-dimensional imps and worrying about the side effects of red kryptonite. But was there anything new happening for the Big Blue Boy Scout? Had anything really changed? Or was he just becoming a parody of himself? Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. There we go. Almost almost tripped up there, but we got through it just like a hurdler at the Olympics. You got scared for a <laughs> second, but nope, they just went right over it. Um, so, Do you just have that reaction every single time you watch a hurdler go yeah. over the hurdle? Oh, yeah. After having it's done track like const- for so long, oh, like oh, watching yeah. actual track meets forever and watching hurdlers go, I'm like, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. He'll be fine. Oh, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. He'll be fine. <laughs> uh, or she'll be fine regardless. Um, it's also uh, in, a, in a banner day here for the DC Detectives uh, podcast because I have filled my notebook. Congratulations. It is... To the very last page, filled. This is it. We are done. So thankfully, I have a new notebook ready for notes. But this is about three to four, three or four years worth of notes about DC Comics, and a couple of pages of, I don't know. I think I tried to make a card game on this page. Um, but yeah, uh, that's a it's a big deal. We we have a lot of notes that we took. Anyway, just a bit, just a thing. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's both a sad and happy day here uh, that we have finished this notebook. And no, Joanne, I did not take it out of your salary to buy another notebook because you don't get paid. Because we don't get paid. If we're just doing this for the love of the game. I can tell you love it so much because you're giving me that look. We should start. She's getting mad. Um, <laughs> so we're doing Superman this episode, like we said we would. We're men of our word. Um, we're doing both Action Comics and Superman going back and forth because that's how these things are published at this time period. We ended, I believe, on Superman of January 1961, uh, the last time we covered Superman. So we're starting with Action Comics number 272, January 1961. Um, yeah, that's, that means there are 272 issues of Action Comics. That's bananas loco, you know? It's just, it's, it's a lot of comics. Um... Action Comics are the ones that will have the singular long-form story because it is the larger mag. Action Comics are also where Supergirl is being found at this time period. Uh, For those of you playing at home, when we covered Supergirl, she's also being found in this magazine as well. Uh, Superman will be the ones that have the multiple stories because it has to fill up the entire comic with Superman content. So in Action Comics number 272, January 1961, the story there is Lois is tasked with helping Perry White come up with, uh, you know, better numbers for circulation for the Daily Planet. And for whatever reason, Lois uh, is obviously the best comic strip artist at the Daily Planet, according to her high school yearbook that says that she was a uh, uh, the top artist in her class. So Lois is tasked with making a superhero newspaper comic, How Meta. Um... And what she does, thankfully, is not make a a Superman comic. She makes a Mental Man comic, who is just a guy who has mental powers that do... That's telekinesis, Kyle. Ah, thank you. Um, They, yeah, he just does stuff with his brain. Like, lift things, turn things on, tell whales to disappear from, like, charge or to leave when they're charging a boat. Um, All of this... 
love and affection towards Mental Man has translated into the psychic creation of the character Mental Man into reality. It's comics, just go with it. So Lois is like, oh my god, this guy that I invented is now a real person. And he's like, Lois, I love you. Marry me. And she's like, well, that's kind of weird. And Superman's like, yeah, you're not weirded out by the fact that this guy just sprung out of nowhere? And she's like, kind of a little bit, but if I make you jealous, maybe you'll propose to me. Uh, so much like Lois does in the 60s, she goes out of her way to try and make Superman jealous by cavorting with metal, uh, Mental Man, who is, in fact, super pissed off that Lois has not agreed to marry her uh, him yet. So he teams up with some thugs to see if he can kill Superman using kryptonite. And in doing so, wounds, wounds Superman... Superman is presumably dead, goes to woo Lois. The criminals are like, thankfully, thank God, man, you killed Superman. Now we'll help you kidnap Lois Lane, I guess, and marry her illegally. But surprise, bitch. Mental man's a good guy. Superman isn't dead. This is all an elaborate sting. A very elaborate sting. And this was just to draw these guys out of hiding. And mental man is actually Aquaman in, in disguise. And I like that Aquaman and Batman are the two characters that keep getting call-ins by Superman to help him out with his secret identity and or hoodwinking Lois. So Aquaman's like, yep, there is no mental man. I just dressed up like this because costumes are easy. And uh, we pretended that I had superpowers and it's that I don't normally have. And Lois is like, wow, I feel weird being duped again like this to draw out criminals this time. At least it wasn't to like, you know, gaslight me into thinking I don't know that clark is superman um but yeah lois yeah, lois is gonna have a hard time in these comics pretty much like for all the for all that we absolutely get that she is a reporter in this era we don't really get that she's a good reporter no we also don't get that she's treated very well um oh, as, yeah. as we'll continue to see in superman number 143 february 1961 uh, a criminal pretends to be a guy who they're pretending that this man is Superman's secret identity and in an attempt to draw Superman out himself and, you know, hinder him and do some crimes. Um, obviously he's found out and Superman stops him via Supermaning. Uh, carnies rigging games at a carnival. Remember kids, nothing good ever happens at the circus and or carnival. Um, carnies are rigging games at the circus slash carnival to steal from people and Superman supermans his way through the carnival to stop them from doing it and makes them all lose a bunch of money and then has them arrested for being cheaters. Uh, and the third story in 143, Bizarro. Hey, remember him? He's back doing other stuff. Bizarro decides that he's going to go to Earth and show everyone that he is, in fact, the scariest monster in the world because he thinks that Frankenstein isn't that scary. And, um, yeah, he just goes around trying to terrorize a movie set and Superman kind of, like, makes it appear as if it's a publicity stunt and it doesn't work and then he leaves and goes back home. Uh, by the way, Bizarro has two kids with Bizarro Lois. Either time dilation, because these are, like, very clearly like almost Lana Lang level age of children. Um, and it's only been like a year since the last time we've saw Bizarro and those kids are like pretty old um, or just Bizarro's age differently. We don't know. But uh, Bizarro Superman goes back home and lives with his family because he's all frustrated. It's a very strange story. <laughs> I'm, I kind of want to read some of the Bizarro stories. Uh, I know there's the, the, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen frequently has bizarro stories, I think. Uh, but I would be interested to see. I thought that like the the world was built, but that's right. When the world was built, 
the Bizarro Lois was created, or uh, it wasn't everybody else. I, w- I just wonder whether someone built the Bizarro family. Yeah, I don't know. We may never know, DC Comics, <laughs> with the way some of the stuff happens in these comics. Um, also, Fair. we'll find this out, and it's not really worth bringing up into attention during the actual plot summary, but Jimmy Olsen is dating Lois Lane's sister. Oh, God, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. Jimmy's dating Lucy Lane. Didn't know that was a character. Didn't know Jimmy had a girlfriend. Now we all do. Now you have to be haunted by that knowledge as well. We're going to move on to Action Comics number 273, February 1961. Superman goes to Mr. Mixius Pitalik's dimension, uh, the fifth dimension, because he's sick and tired of Mr. Mixius Pitalik coming to his dimension and screwing things up. Um, so he decides to go to the fifth dimension and just ruin Mr. Mixius Pitalik's run for political office? Question mark? By, like, yeah. making him look bad in front of all of the other fifth dimensional imps. And Mr. Mixius Pitalik is super pissed about it. And he he's like, I know what I'll do is I'll have Superman uh, say his name backwards and I'll banish him just like he banishes me. Except Superman isn't Superman's real name. So he keeps getting Superman to try and say, and I love this, and I believe you brought this up when we were talking about... Uh, Superman and Mr. Mixius Pitalik's name backwards the first time. Superman's name backwards is Namorpus. <laughs> you know, it sounds so much worse when it's not on a page. <laughs> yeah, it's Namorpus. Um, so he is. He gets to. He gets him to say it, and Superman doesn't disappear. And Mr. Mixius Pitalik is like, "What the hell? Why didn't this work?" And he goes, "Oh, have you successfully lost your political campaign race? Fantastic! I'm gonna go home." And Superman says Kal-El backwards under his breath and then goes home. So that was, it's kind of a cute little trick. Kind of liked that. It was kind of nonsensical, but also was like, oh yeah, I forgot. Like that's a, that's a funny way of doing it. That Mr. Mixius Pitalik doesn't actually know that much about Superman. <laughs> yeah. And I think the thing that stood out to me on this one, first off, like I had written down, holy shit, that was actually fun. Yeah. Uh, but the important bit there is so many of the stories we're going to cover are, gimmicks for this the sake of this is the story where we talk about this is the gimmick uh the one with the blank and this is one of the few times that it's actually imaginative uh yeah i like the i like the inversion of mr mixes spitalik uh being the one who is trying to get superman to say his name in reverse i like the ways he's going about it i love the true name bit just like the you don't get to decide my true name i ha- i here is the truth of who I am. Yeah. Uh, and I like that. It was, it was just a nice little actual well-written touch into that. Um, mm-hmm. We then move on to action. Oh, um, by the way, this is ridiculous. And I have to call this out. Um, during the beginning of this issue, Mr. Mixius Pitalik floods uh, Metropolis full of sneezing powder. And, um, Superman inhales all of it to get it out of the the city and goes to a nearby solar system uninhabited by anyone or anything and sneezes and destroys the solar system. And if if this were Marvel, then we would be at the like the start of the third act of one of the major storylines of their entire history. But no, this is Mort Weisinger. So Superman sneezed so hard that a sun blew up. Yeah. Um, and thankfully, because no one was in, no one was on those planets, it was it was just kind of benign nasal demolition. Uh, <laughs> I want you to write that down and look at it every day when you oh, wake up. That's gonna be the title of the episode. 
benign nasal demolition. <laughs> <laughs> I want that to be your lock screen. Yeah, we're 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 we've hit that point, I believe, in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah i just think it's something to think about that superman can sneeze a, a a galaxy out of existence or rather a solar system anyway moving on to action comics number 274 march 1961 lois gets superpowers while uh researching kryptonite with superman in the fortress of solitude and superman loses his powers and the powers get transferred to lois and she begins to go about her life trying to be superman essentially in this outfit that we get from an editor's note that she was given in uh i want to say superman's girlfriend lois lane in 1950 thanks editor note um it actually is very evocative of the superman iconography and i liked it a lot um better than her power girl outfit that she got at one point Mm. um i i just really enjoy it because i think it's it's i think in my opinion even a little bit better than Supergirls. but maybe that's because they're coding lois lane as a woman as opposed to um Kara Zor-El as a girl. I don't know. Um, but she's in this new outfit and she's being super woman. Uh, and Superman is pretty glum and keeps trying to marry her. And she's like, oh, the shoe's on the other foot now. Haha, I'm going to make you feel bad for, you know, not marrying me before. And then she realizes like, hmm, maybe this isn't a good idea because he doesn't have superpowers anymore and this would be dangerous. Except like they kind of frame it that Lois is like, oh, he doesn't have superpowers anymore. I'm not attracted to him. And then that is kind of where the story starts to lead. And then Superman just like falls over and dies. And she's like, oh my (laughs) God, he's dead. I have to fly him to the Fortress of Solitude. Realizes she can't fly. She has no super strength. And then the real Superman shows up and he's like, what are you doing with my robot, Lois? And she's like, what is happening in my life? I need, (laughs) I have, I have questions. I need answers. And he's like, oh, a robot uh, name here Uh, must have malfunctioned. What did you do, robot? And he's like, I'll explain with my dying non-breath. I thought that Lois was basically a, a gold digger and super shallow. And I wanted to prove it to you. So I gave her superpowers and yeah, it turns out she kind of is later and then dies and or shuts yeah. down as robots do. And Superman's like, it's cool. He was just malfunctioning. Don't worry about it, Lois. I'll see you later. And she's like, wow, he's like super forgiving for me being like really shitty. And that's how the issue ends. <laughs> it's like, yeah, this was kind of like not good for anyone. <laughs> <laughs> no one no one yeah. came out of this well even superman it's kind of like bro she was actually like kind of found out you got to react to that in some way and he's like nope not a problem see you later and i'm like wow that's unhealthy yeah i've got i've got some notes on this one okay we will get to it then when you yeah. are doing your notes we're gonna go now to superman number 144 april 1961 uh, a couple stories or a few stories in this a flashback of superboy's first appearance uh, by Superman just going like, oh yeah, remember that one time I was Superboy for like ever and there was a whole other series that talked about this and now we're going to do this in a Superman comic, I guess. Um, Superman just recalls being Superboy for the first time and like meeting Franklin Delano Roosevelt and like f- basically plotting out his, I don't know, patrol strategy and how to make sure that he helps people correctly. It's a very weird story and kind of doesn't go anywhere. Um, Superman and Supergirl... Um, are working on a machine that explodes and destroys the planet Earth and are put on trial by a, a like council of intergalactic 
judges who are like, yeah, you guys fucked up. You destroyed a planet. You're not responsible because you're tinkering with, you know, stuff that you found in space. And obviously you're, you know, you're, you're reckless. We're going to put you on a planet full of dinosaurs that shoot lightning bolts out of their nose. And they're like, yeah, that seems fair. And so they go to the planet and Supergirl and Crypto get killed. And then Superman wakes up and realizes that when they got the machine and they were doing stuff with their capes earlier, there must have been red kryptonite on the machine. And the people in Kandor were like, yeah, you didn't notice the red kryptonite. And they're like, thanks, tiny people for like, you know, you know, being Johnny on the spot about this information. And it was all a dream. None of it happened. They just had a red kryptonite hallucination. Yep. It's the worst kind of secret from the reader story where it didn't actually happen. Uh, the last story in this issue, Lex Luthor. Hey, remember him? We haven't seen him in a while. Um, Lex Luthor develops a weapon in prison that is designed to siphon off energy from Superman when he's doing fantastic feats. And it stores it and then it can like shoot it, essentially. It's basically like a siphon that just expels the energy and it looks kind of like a bazooka. It's kind of an nifty idea that these guys figured out. Luthor then gives his cellmate the instructions for it and he says, okay, here's what you're going to do. You're going to use this machine, you're going to get all the energy, you're going to bust me out of prison, and then we're going to do a bunch of jobs together. And the guy's like, this can't fail. Good idea. Gets out of prison, makes the machine, says, screw Luthor, I'm going to get my own gang, we're going to use this machine to fight Superman and get rich. And Luthor's like, how could I possibly have not seen this coming? I was in jail with a criminal and he betrayed me. What was I thinking? And... The criminals basically are using this energy bazooka on Superman that is so powerful it knocks him off the planet, into the sun, and through time at one point. It's so powerful. And when Superman is knocked through time into the past, he watches them use the machine at one point. He goes, oh, that's what's happening. Got it. And then goes back in time to the present, beats them up knowing what's going on, and goes like, and stay down, and I'm putting you back in prison. Destroys the machine, and Luther's like, that's what you get for double-crossing me. Lex Luthor. Yep. Petty as fuck. <laughs> Accurate. Action Comics number 275, April 1961. Hey, Brainiac's back. We haven't seen him forever. I don't remember the last time we saw Brainiac because I think there was the first appearance of Brainiac where he tried to steal all the cities on Earth and we had that conversation and he had the monkey companion and everything. I remember that. Mm -hmm. And then I remember Brainiac 5 and Supergirl going like, hey, uh, I'm a descendant of Brainiac. Just kidding. I'm good. He got taken away. It's all good. I'm a good Brainiac. That was the last time I remember seeing Brainiac. Same. And now Brainiac has a completely different look. He's no longer like a mad scientist. He's got the like little head uh circle robot things on he's in the speedo with like the salmon pink tunic jumpsuit thing he's fully green he looks more like brainiac than brainiac has any ever looked he looks much more like the design that i've seen him um and he's like guess what superman i've developed a new ray gun thing that shoots red green kryptonite you're in for it now and he shoots superman with it and superman's like was that it no nothing happened and Brainiac's like, hmm, probably should have tested this first. Uh, later, and just bails. And Brainiac's gone for a while. And Superman kind of figures out that there's some sort of side effect, but won't tell anybody what it is. But we all know the side effect is there because he starts having this ridiculous urge to wear hats. Any hat. Any hat at all. And everyone's utterly confused about his taste in headwear. Um, <laughs> because his taste in headwear seems to be 
influencing his method of justice dispensation, um, wearing a Swami turban at one point and using a giant glass ball as a crystal ball, quote unquote, to refract light and destroy stuff, um, making a paper Napoleon hat out of uh, newspaper and getting a big statue of like a, a horse that he flies to make it look like he's in a cavalry thing. It's bizarre. And when we finally find out what exactly happened between Brainiac and Superman is that the ray made him grow a third eye in the back of his head. That was the side mm. effect. Like, yeah. like that was a big deal. And he's like, yes, I Red had to hide it. Man. Yeah. Red kryptonite does everything and nothing. Um, supposedly the, the, the argument they give is that it, oh, it affected his pineal gland, which is where scientists believe was our third eye as we developed evolutionarily don't know how real that is don't know what's going on with that i'm not gonna look into it but hey uh superman had a third eye for an issue and then it was gone because red kryptonite wears off and to hide it like a high schooler he just wore different hats every day like come on man (laughs) you think anyone's gonna care about that you just look cooler now uh superman number 145 may 1961 uh, Lois is told a fake secret identity by Jimmy Olsen because Lois is complaining that she's like, if only I had a chance to show Superman that I could be trusted with his secret identity. And Lucy, her sister, who I guess she lives with, is like, Jimmy, can't you convince Superman to tell Lois her, his, you know, his secret identity? And he's like, tell you what, Lucy, I know Superman's secret identity is one of these three people and holds three photos in front of her. One is a football player that looks kind of like Superman. He's like, but it could be makeup. One is Clark Kent. And the other one is some science fiction author who is bound to a wheelchair. And he's like, it could be any one of these three men. I don't know which one it is, though. And she's like, you sure? He goes, I'm just kidding. It's the science fiction author in the wheelchair. And she's like, oh, okay. Yeah, I guess that would make people like not really suspect him. And he goes, like, that's the perfect cover. Whatever. And so Lucy tells... And he goes, now, if you tell Lois, if she can keep it a secret for 48 hours, I bet it would look good for Superman. And then they maybe will talk and maybe he'll ask her to marry him and lucy's like got it goes to lois tells her the secret identity is this like really hot shot science fiction author and she's like oh my god that's amazing and lois instantly has a ton of problems with this she talks about it in her sleep uh she accidentally mentions it to jimmy while a recorder is playing she is accidentally caught on camera for a hidden camera tv show that's broadcasting live whilst talking about it and jimmy's like thank god we didn't (laughs) We didn't actually tell you the real name. And she's like, yeah, clearly it's a problem. And Superman's like, yeah, dummy. It's another story that you can kind of sum up by rolling your eyes, smirking and saying dames, which is not a good story. It's just another story to make Lois look stupid for no reason. Yep. Um, Which just just rub your temples once, listener, for how often and how much this gives you a migraine. Um. The last thing we're going to cover, technically we're not really going to cover this because it's... Uh, oh, no, sorry, there's a couple more stories in here. Um, remember, kids, nothing good ever happens at a circus, especially a space <laughs> circus. Um, a space yep. circus comes to town, and they see Superman, and they're like, holy crap, you're awesome. You want to be a part of our circus? And he's like, not really. I kind of like it here. And they're like, what if we threaten the Earth? And he's like, probably a bad call. And stops them from threatening Earth, and then they leave. Um, and then the last story, a bunch of bad things go wrong during the day for Superman. His powers aren't really working. Jimmy Olsen, um, like, 
is friends with Crypto, the super dog. Streaky, the cat, is friends with Lois Lane. Supergirl is acting out and, like, revealing herself to the world. Bizarro, Lex Luthor, and Brainiac are acting like Superman is their best friend. And the issue just kind of ends with Superman passing out on a cake that his three new best friends have made him. And they're like, can you guess what's going on, reader? And if you flip the page upside down, they're like, we published this this issue on April 1st. April Fools! And I'm like, you saucy bitches. (laughs) like i'll tell you what though this is funny because it's a long con because back then they had to plan this story out months in advance and now dc or marvel would have just done this as like a fake cover and commissioned Mm -hmm. like a couple of artists to like do some interiors and it would be digital only but the fact that they published a full April Fool's like six-page story in an actual Superman comic is ballsy as hell, and it's funny. But also, like, come on, guys. <laughs> and it's it's like perfect troll bait for people like us or like Cinema Sins because the very first thing that I had written down for this uh, particular issue was wait telepathy. Because it specifically calls out like he is able to use his telepathic power uh, on the phone that he hasn't answered yet to know that it's Perry White that's calling. I w- and I'm I was ready to jump down their throats. Yeah, I was. I I you know what though, he has ex- he has ex- shown that he has some modicum of telepathy and hypnosis. <laughs> that's so that to expand a little bit. That's one of the issues that I have with these issues that. There are things that are like that where it's something that if you – it feels like I should be able to think logically and say, oh, this doesn't match uh, the world that they've built thus far and that should be a clue that something's wrong. But they have so often done weirder and more ludicrous and more uh, cohesiveness breaking things that it feels like I'm being told – this isn't something that works when it could just as easily work as anything else that you've told me could work. Yeah. The second he starts sneezing planets out of existence, I'm ready to buy anything at this point. Um, (laughs) The last thing that we're going to mention here is the Superman annual number two, which came out this year. Um, And it's a, it's a bunch of reprints of stories that we've already covered. So we're not going to talk about that. But what is interesting in it is an illustrated map of Krypton. Oh, I didn't catch that. So that's kind of neat. And it's just a little cute thing that they've drawn. Um, It's very like kind of Disneyland-esque. And it's like, I'll read some of the names of things that are called out. The Great Krypton Sea, Robot Factory, Fire Falls, Jewel Mountain, Rainbow Canyon, Jor-El's Laboratory, Kandor. Anti-Gravity Sky Palace, Atomic Town, Planetary Weather Control Tower, Fort Roz, Small Krypton Sea, Kryptonian Zoo, Argo City. Like, it's it's it looks like a a Disneyland map. And I'm I'm kinda here for it, and I like it a lot, but it's just like, huh, that's a weird <laughs> thing. Alright, so that is it for summary. It's just a lot of it's a lot of dunking on Lois Lane for no reason um, for these, you know, half a year's worth of stories. And I got to say, like, I'm 110% done with that. Yep. 
I'm ready for Lois to be the character that I am familiar with, who is like the badass reporter and not just fiat plot for what she's whatever the plot needs her to be. And I'm I'm not a fan of that. Um, Superman as well is just doing everything and anything and has all the powers. Um, but at least Jimmy Olsen didn't do something stupid. <laughs> wow, yeah. Jimmy Olsen in, these, yeah. in this entire series of issues did not fuck up once. And good for him. <laughs> Jimmy Olsen, you know what that is? Growth. That's it for, uh, for summary. Do you have notes? I do, in fact. Okay, so first off, a lot of these stories are written by Jerry Siegel, who, of course, was the one of the co-creators of Superman. Uh, and I am not quite universally, but pretty generally negative on his stories. He is going to be almost, I think every single time, it's going to be a gimmick story. There are not a lot of stories in here that aren't gimmicks, but his are sort of typified by not being creative gimmicks. They're they're reminiscent of Martian Manhunter stories where it's just, oh, what thing is he going to blow on that's going to put out the fire? Uh, it feels like very rote usage of powers. It feels like situations that we've frankly already seen a lot uh, and there are some exceptions but really this this really hammered home a thing that we've talked about in the past which is we're dealing with some of the titans of the industry who kept writing and it's not always good like Gardner Fox I'm very glad had a, a net positive trend in how he wrote and how good it is. And we've, we've really come around on Gardner Fox, but I really think that Jerry Siegel especially is an, in, an example of someone who just doesn't change. Yeah. Uh, or rather change does change, but changes in ways that are less engaging because at least there was something vaguely interesting about the early Superman stories and him being flashback to, 30 or 40 episodes ago at this point, but an authoritarian socialist slash Robin Hood figure. Um, at least that was something we could talk about and be interested in and engage with. This is just the same gimmicks over and over again. The one thing that did stand out that was something that he did better at, though, was uh, he did that first story about Lois Lane coming up with the newspaper strip. And Jerry Siegel was not just the writer of the Superman comics. He was also the writer of the Superman newspaper strip until he was drafted. So he does know from where he speaks with regards to uh, newspaper comics. Hmm. Might as well get into this one. So Action Comics 274, the one about Lois uh, getting Superman's powers and the robot and the robot dying and all of that. Uh, the first thing that's worth noting on this because it will absolutely set the stage for the rest of this, is that while it's written by Jerry Siegel, it is drawn by Kurt Schaffenberger, our old friend. He is the perfect artist for this story because what we see throughout this is vulnerable characters. Uh, to some, Lois is mostly reacting to Superman, to Super Robot's uh, vulnerability, but throughout, Robot Z is showing that he is he is scared, he is ashamed 
Like that's actually the the word that I'd use there. It feels like it's second wave emotions. When he is not able to uh, like lift rocks out of the way of the car that he and Lois are in, like it's not just the exertion of I can't move this thing. It's not third response emotions where it's like covering up for it by making jokes or anything, but it's definitely the second wave emotions of he is feeling ashamed that he can't move this. He is not powered anymore. Right. Uh, and vulnerability well, throughout. Is that an Go act forth. though? It, it is, but from an art and storytelling standpoint, like that's what resonates with me is it feels like at least the, the creative side of this is, a little deeper than usual. But you're absolutely right. It, it is 100% an act to get uh, Lois to be to pity him and think of less of him for it. And that's, that's the bit that I kind of want to drill on because it's... I want to give Siegel credit here and I can't because he has not shown anywhere else that he has the emotional depth in his writing to do this, but I'm really fascinated by the dynamics that are at least unintentionally implied by the ending. So the way it goes, to drill down into the specifics, Superman comes back from space, uh, Robot Z confesses that he has been uh, tr pretending to have lost his powers so that, uh, and temporarily gave Lois Lane powers so that she would demonstrate that she was just interested in Superman for his powers. And nothing about the ending of this contravenes that. She, uh, as soon as Robot Z lays out that this is what I did, her response is she starts thinking like, oh, shit, I did. I did do that. And how can, I, I can't be, uh, Superman will never forgive me. I really did do that. And Superman specifically says, don't worry about it. In the instance where you had powers and this, the robot didn't, that was the right call because neither of us, more or less like, neither of us would have been happy. That was not a situation where that would have been tenable. So you were right to reject the robot in that instance. And now I'm going to take the robot away. I'm going to get him charged. Everything is back to normal. And yeah, we basically can pretend this never happened. And that specific acknowledgement that their dynamic is the way it is and it's what makes them happy is fascinating to me because it it's a separate thing from the justice of it. In a just world, if they were behaving with perfect justice, then it would be no different between Lois being powerful and Superman being not or flipped to the quote-unquote normal state. But they both acknowledge that it does, that the inverse dynamic, the, the dynamic where Superman has power and she doesn't, is what makes them both happy, or at least is a net happiness gain for them. And like that kind of implied recognition that they're not perfect, that they don't live in an idealized world, and they do prefer this frankly unjust situation it's fascinating to me like that's the kind of thing i could imagine alan moore writing as is 
uh, what I don't remember what it was he did right before the uh, uh, the Grand Universe reboot, but he it feels like that kind of story that moody kind of we're not perfect people, but this is what makes us happy, and we acknowledge that that's not the best. I love that idea, and I can't give Jerry Siegel credit for it. I can only give uh, Kurt Schaffenberger. Like I can give him at least some of the credit because this whole story is so anchored in Lois's thoughts. She is the perspective character here. This whole time, like half of the panels are either super close-ups of them talking or her thinking about how all of this makes her feel. Uh, so it's super grounded in the emotions and the thoughts and that only comes through because of Schaffenberger's art. This is a thing that fascinates me, and I want to make a D&D character out of it. I want there to be, like, an ongoing plot line, and I can't give the creative team credit for it because I don't know if it's intentional. And that is something that just keeps stabbing me in the gut with the Silver Age. I don't know if I can give them credit for the things that are good about it. And I will also say that we're seeing a lot of stories told with Lois as the perspective character. For for action comics and for Superman comics, and for the fact that Lois has her own book right now, Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane, there's an awful lot of stories that are presented as Superman stories that are told from Lois's perspective. And I'll tag along with that. Like, that's... Even beyond Lois, that's also the case with other characters. There's the one, I think it's pretty immediately following that, uh, that was uh, Crypto. Hmm. The story from Crypto's perspective of him trying to get Superman and Lois Lane together. That one is explicitly told from his perspective. It's just that most of the time it's focused on how other people are reacting to the things that he does rather than being grounded in how he is responding to that. But yeah, like we're absolutely getting a ton of Superman stories, quote unquote, that are told from the perspective of somebody else. Yeah, Superman adjacent stories. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. All right. Um, so that pretty well covers my thoughts on that one. So I'll move on to other stuff. Uh, it's worth noting uh, Superman 142 is the one that has uh, uh, Crypto and that story. And it is also penciled by Schaffenberger. And it isn't as good because the art is calling for less like close-up emotional shots. It has to show uh, shots of crypto doing a thing. And in the background, we have Superman and Lois Lane reacting to what's being done. Uh, so that it doesn't have the emotional, the artistic intimacy that Schaffenberger really is what he thrives at. The, right. the romance comic style paneling. Oh, sure. And we've we've talked about that before. I really want to read some Superman's Girlfriend, Lois Lane. Uh, anyways, uh, I have to get pedantic here because this bugged me. There's a sequence where Superman is dodging bullets. Specifically dodging because he didn't want to get like shot. And I think it's, the issue was like ricochets. Uh, so he dodges bullets in place and when he's finished, like he stands back up and the bullet holes behind him are an outline of his body, <laughs> an outline. So I guess they were like shooting to graze or something. 
Yeah, or they were just shooting at so many bullets in the shape of his body that he stopped all the ones except for the ones that would be a perfect outline for him. That'd be cool. <laughs> just wallow lead. Yeah. Like it's Oh, that- you know what it is? It's the bullet version of one of those things that you like you push your hand into oh. like all the pins. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, maybe it's that. There we go. Uh this is something that's a little more of uh like a thought kernel, I guess is a stupid way to put it, but seems about right. Um I have written down for uh one forty four just dot dot dot. Is that Reagan? It it kinda looked like Reagan, but it is, I believe, <laughs> Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Or oh no, I meant not the uh president. Uh I was referring to there was uh the I think the mook who Luther <laughs> yeah, gives the The uh, guy does look like Ronald Reagan, yeah. That yeah. is funny. The the the, the cell, his cellmate that double crosses him. Yes, does look like Ronald Reagan. It might actually be possible at this point. Like I don't know when Reagan's career ran from as an actor, but it That's might be f- right around this time. Fair point. Yeah, I don't know when he started as an actor. Yeah. But with regards to the president, my best guess is that that's actually Herbert Hoover, specifically going by the fact that that president that's depicted there doesn't have a receding hairline and his hair isn't entirely gray. Like every picture that I look at for Eisenhower, FDR and Truman, like their hairline is definitely receding and entirely gray whereas Mm. this is like it's got volume it's mostly brown like a light brown with uh white stripes over the ear it's like maybe herbert hoover yeah i don't know i always assumed it was uh fdr because it seemed world war ii adjacent it would make the most sense like the fact that there was a spy that superboy had to save him from wouldn't make perfect sense um let's see Last couple bits that are just kind of dumb entertainment. Um, There's a panel where Clark is eating a Martian marshmallow. Yeah, this Uh, is funny. And it's just like like he's holding it kind of like cotton candy. And he is just pulling like he's got like full on like his teeth are out there like gripped on the bit of marshmallow it it looks super buck toothy he's just like just pulling the marshmallow up and he looks like the biggest doof yeah it's during the segment when uh the circus from outer space shows up and they're eating food and concessions from other planets and the which begs the question how strong are those marshmallows that it's able to withstand superman's strength yeah that's terrifying to think about yeah i hadn't thought about that portion huh yeah that it's just like Uh, the tensile strength of it is just okay for him (laughs) and you're like what i mean it's also like right next to the world's or the galaxy's largest frankfurter yeah that they that has mustard inside of it already yeah i love the idea that hot dogs are the universe's constant yeah of course obviously that and omelets um, but yeah, I just, I wonder I if he could leave omelets. Yeah. I wonder if he could ask John or Jean Jean's about Martian marshmallows. <laughs> I like to think that they talk about like Kryptonian food and Martian food. God, do they just have like a brunch day where they make the best versions that they can remember of the food from home? I like to think that they're friends enough to do that. Yeah. 
I like I like I like br- brunch dates between Superman and Martian Manhunter. That just seems super chill. Yeah. Um, in the uh, Superman Annual number two that we had that we glossed over because we'd covered basically everything in there, uh, there was one particular page that we had like super already covered, and that was the second page of Superman number one, uh, where it's like his. Uh, him growing up uh, and demonstrations of his powers, all that stuff. What's weird is they reprinted it in black and white. Not mm. whereas it was in color when it originally ran. And I'm just like, could they only find an Ashcan copy? Interesting. I wonder if. Oh, some, speaking of um, reprints and things like that, uh, back in the the issue with with the Superboy's first appearance recap story. In that story, he saves a guy from being wrongfully mm-hmm. executed, which echoes the first appearance of Superman in action comics, where he saves a woman from being wrongly executed, which I thought was very funny. Anyway, just a, a nice little parallel some nearly 30 years later. Yeah, that was a good one to see. And it's like, oh, yeah, I, I like the little nods. Um, one last note, uh, and this is specifically, there's the the. F- First, one of the stories in the annual, I think it was in the annual, was the first appearance of Bizarro, and it's in uh, Superboy Story, mm-hmm. um, which is why we sort of didn't cover that one as much, because Superboy Story. Uh, but it's interesting to read through, because that one very explicitly is just the Bizarro version there is not evil, and not backwards. It's just an imperfect copy who talks a little weird. There's no backwardsness to it. It's just me didn't want to do this kind of thing. Interesting. Um, yeah, it's not even like, I don't think it was even like me am blankety blank. Uh, it was a much toned down uh, degree of talk or, or way of talking. Uh, and throughout it, it's like Superboy the stance that Superboy and the professor who accidentally created Bizarro have is that Superboy uh, Bizarro is this version of Bizarro is created from unliving cells. Uh, it is or unliving matter. It is not a living creature in any way, shape or form. We just need to destroy it. Um, and that like 100% Superboy uses a fake version of the one blind person who is friendly with Bizarro to basically lure him to where the U.S. Army can just try to destroy him. And it really brought home to me that Bizarro is such a delicate character to use as a villain. It He works pretty well when he is like a sidekick to a villain where or when he is a jokester or rather just a trickster in general, just kind of like messing things up uh, like we saw in the one where he shows up and is angry about uh, Frankenstein being called the world's scariest monster. But when he's the villain of the story and Superman is actively like fighting him, not just like I need to stop this guy uh, so that I can like take, I can have some time to reason with him and okay, don't worry, Bizarro, like here, let me help you. Like that's what Superman should do. Mm-hmm. But anytime there's a story where Superman is trying to 
hurt or destroy Bizarro, it it's it's wrong. Yeah. It is incorrect writing. You can't be both Superman and the villain of the modern Prometheus. Well, it, it's also, there's always been two versions of Bizarro that I've always seen. There's mm-hmm. the tragic figure Bizarro, who is the one that's just trying to do good and is being manipulated. And then there's the terrifying version that like you can see in the Justice comic um, that was drawn by Alex Ross, where he is a silent, like, ever-staring, just creepy looking of version of superman that is just monstrous and terrifying oh i haven't seen that oh man it's awful it's such a scary thing like it's 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 the um like it look it's the same body as superman but it looks like it's made of crystal with like just a a bit of hair and it just is staring yeah and like there's that bizarro and then there's like me am try do good bizarro like, there's the one that's trying to be Superman, but is imperfect at it, which you shouldn't treat as a villain. It's a tragic figure mm-hmm. that never was asked, that never asked to be created and is being manipulated. And then there is the straight up, like, I'm built to kill Bizarro. You have to establish which Bizarro you're using. Mm-hmm. And I think that dictates whether or not Superman can destroy him. Because if it's the, if it's the Frankenstein's monster, I'm just trying to figure out how to be alive, Bizarro you you know you doctor who that you try and help that person before you do anything to destroy them because they're they're benign they they can tip one way or the other but you shouldn't try to hurt them versus like oh my god it's a killing machine god i've never seen that version oh man i gotta hold on i gotta i gotta find that picture because it's like actually an unsettling version um in in justice in in the justice comic Superman is lured away um, to like a distress signal that's being put out by Metallo and he gets there. Metallo hits him with kryptonite and Solomon Grundy and Bizarro hold him down while Parasite drains power from him. And then they all just take turns wailing on him. (sighs) It's like it's it's fucking crazy. Like it's one of the most like unsettling like traps against Superman I've ever seen. And he and the end of the issue is he screams like "Help me!" and then Shazam shows up, <laughs> and he's and his. I think the first line he says is "It's okay, Superman. I got your signal. You're safe now." Ooh. And I'm like, "Oh, you're the best, Billy." <laughs> it's yeah. It's it's an unsettling image. God, and the it's the eyes. The S is backwards too. Oh yeah, it's it's fucking terrifying. Oh man. It's horrifying to look at. Like, Ooh. yeah, okay, that's that is not Bizarro number one. All right, um, do we have any more notes? Was was that Bizarro the last one? Ça c'est tout. All right, let's go into uh, recommendations. My recommendation is go see Shazam. Um, that movie's amazing. I know, I know, Endgame is coming out. This is being recorded the week of Endgame, and I understand, and I know Game of Thrones is out and doing its thing. Please go see Shazam. It is so lovely. It's so smart. I love the heart that's in it. All the child actors do such a good job. Mark Strong is amazing in it. Zachary Levi is really good. Um, it's such an obscure character, and they handle it so well. There are so many references for big time fans like me, the little things that you can see and you're like, oh my God, it's that thing. Oh my God, it's that thing. And just little, little jokes and little Easter eggs that are really nice. And 
I think they set it up perfectly for another film or for a Justice League crossover. Um, I can see exactly where they would go if they wanted to bring Dwayne Johnson in to be Black Adam, which is he expressed he wanted to do. So I would love to see The Rock play Black Adam. He said he wanted to. I want to see that too. Um, Hell yeah. I, I think they're, they have started to really hit their stride with this movie. And, you know, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Shazam, I think DC's figured out. All right, okay. Here's what we're doing. So um, please, please go see that. You, you'll have fun. If anything, you'll have fun. Nice. On my end, uh, I, I have to recommend this. From from the sheer amount of time I've spent playing this over the past couple days, I have to. Uh, it's just a mobile game. It's it's called Dragon Ball Z Dokkan Battle. It's, I mean, it's an East Asian RPG in the sense of I have characters and I'm going through all these different upgrade trees uh, to make them more powerful and going through different stages. And it's it's just one of those. But it's a very enjoyable one of those thus far. And really, it really comes down to the IP. I'm a DBZ fan. It, that just checks the box right there. Uh, it's reasonably easy to figure out at least the first like the first sphere of what you need to do to get stronger it's got a ton of stuff in it it it's one of those games where it the actual like what people would normally think of as like gameplay gameplay where it's uh like choosing what attack to use that that kind of tactical play is it's pretty minimal it's a bit more on the deck building side but if that's your thing if you enjoy games like heroes charge give it a try it's it's just a well executed one of those but i've spent far too much time playing it over the last while for it not to be something that i would recommend nice well i think that'll do it for us for this episode Thanks so much for sticking with us. We're going to be doing one more of Superman uh, because we didn't actually get to 1962 in this episode. And uh, we hope to see you again next time with more adventures with the Man of Steel. DC Detectives can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. To stay in the know, check out our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and iTunes. Superman's treatment of Lois became problematic and concerning. What was once savior and damsel in distress now became a sort of patronizing relationship. We decided to investigate further to see how this developed, and hopefully finding a healthier relationship on the horizon. 